Okay, let's go. I don't know if some of y'all have had a demanding day. Did anyone else have a demanding day? Yes. So I thought tonight, let's just have a little fun with this. Anyway, I'm going to try to go easy enough and fun enough that we actually enjoy this concept because it takes a day to write but a lifetime to live. So anyway, so I'm asking you right now, whatever you're doing in your life, whatever you do this year, do it in faith, by faith. So we're going to have to understand what faith is. If what we're going to do, we do by faith. Plus, we need to know what faith is to make sure that we're doing it by faith. If we're supposed to do it by faith. Amen. So, this is what I really had on my heart. And I want to ask you a question to determine our approach so you'll stick with me the whole time. Are you one of those kind of people that I say, okay, I have bad news and good news for you. What do you want first? We need to get the 100% agreement in this room before we even start okay are you people that you want bad news first let's get it over with or do you want good news first and let's taper to the bad all right let's see the vote i need 100 percent. which way do we want to go bad news first yeah let's end well so the bad news about the bad news first what we're going to talk about is the concept of faith And I'm asking the question, did Jesus actually go into a situation and put a thermometer on you to see how much faith you're bringing into a situation? Seems to be. But as a church, we're kind of nervous to tell people this particular concept of faith or not faith. Because people feel judged or whatever. I'm not trying to pass judgment on them after it's happened. I'll leave that to Jesus. He seems to do a pretty good job at that or he did an excellent job at that, and I'm still trying to understand what constitutes faith and not faith. So for my standpoint, I'm going to tell you in January, I'm going to tell you from this lesson forth that I want to bring the concept of faith forward to you so that it's not whacked upon your head of how much you were bringing into the situation, but ahead of time, let's see if we can figure out how to bring more faith forward. Now, is faith something like a thermometer where I gauge it, or is it something that you have degrees of it? Like, oops, that's 10% faith, that's 30%, that's 60 that's 99% faith, that's 100% faith. What constitutes this? Is it a degree? Is it faith switches on or it's off? Have you ever had a switch hang in the middle? So you're going to have to make up your mind what faith is. Is it such a thing as undeveloped faith? Let's look at how Jesus took a peek at it. So, I'm going to start with a rendition of what Jesus said. Sometimes Jesus went up and he evaluated a situation. And we're going to tell you the worst two examples of all. If he meant what he was saying, exactly. Like if you just think he was throwing words out there, and that's how I think we read these scriptures, where we just go, oh, they got in trouble. But I want you to see they got in different degrees of trouble. Like, they didn't always get in the same amount of trouble. And I'm one to think that Jesus was very precise with his words. That he said exactly what he meant. So when he made an evaluation of it, I think it's an exact evaluation of the moment. So let's start with absolutely what you don't want to do, since we're going to start with the negative. So number one, he walked up to some situations and he flat said, 
you are exhibiting or you are having or you are obtaining no faith. How many times did he assess people as none? None ya. Huh? Many. Many? There are quite a few times oh. said people have little faith. I'm saying zero. 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 Okay. So anybody want to make a guesstimate? How many times in scripture did he flat say this is no faith? Okay, let's do something else. Can you think of an example of the disciples where you would go, oh, that one for sure is the example of Nunya. You have no faith on you. What point? Did Jesus just flat say, there is no faith you're bringing to the table? This is an indictment. Okay. Y'all want to go with her that that's no faith or little faith? That's little faith. Little faith. It says you faith. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought this would help us to look at them in groups. There's only two times he declared it, no faith. And you were right, Mark 4.35. And the same day when the evening had come, he says to them, let us pass to the other side. Now there's so many examples of terror at sea. <laughs> Help, our boat's collapsing. That... There's only one time of these that Jesus actually calls it none. No, 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 no faith. None, none, none. And so when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. Now, I had never caught that. There was with him other little ships. So they're in the big vessel, and they're all in it, and this time Jesus is with them. You would think that when Jesus is with you, you'd have a better chance to at least have a little. You know, if he's in my boat, I always go, if Jesus is in my boat, I'll do fine. But it's a different situation here. And it says, and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was completely full. That's a terrible feeling when you're in a boat and it fills up with water. Have you ever had a hole in the bottom of your boat? And you try to put your foot over it? I don't know if y'all been fishing, you know, you're out in the middle of the lake and you're just like, oh, no. Or the side of the boat. Uh-huh. So this one, it comes over. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship where it gets to rocking in a storm and it starts taking on water. You know, one of the last things my dad pointed out to me is he took a picture of something they developed by looking at a dolphin's nose of how to cut through the water to keep that from happening in a tropical storm. And so there's so many unique things they do by nature that God developed. And it's a very odd look. It's a dolphin's nose that they put up at the front of the cruise ship. So this one did not have the dolphin's nose, and it was full of water from the storm. And he was in the hinder part of the ship. Now, we just, in Sunday school, love that concept of the hinder parts. So Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. This is so unique, the amount of detail it gives you, that he's asleep on the pillow. And they awake him, and they say these words to him. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you not care what is happening to us? Do you not care that we're drowning? And he arose, and he was not happy. This is not, he arose, and the it plays. 
<laughs> he arose. He had been asleep, and now he is awake. He is on his feet now. And he rebuked the wind. So he solved the problem first. And he said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? And how is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's a no faith. In another particular rendition of the story, he actually seems to be the most mad over the fact they said, Do you not care? So I think that God has this thing that if you doubt that he cares for you, it just does something to him. If he did not prove to us he cared by coming to this earth, if he did not prove that he cared by teaching us, I mean, the fact that in the midst of a crisis situation, we scream out, do you not care? I think hitting him in the area of care, I mean, it just takes everything off the table. So if you want to demonstrate absolutely no faith in life, I would say to tell yourself in your heart, God must not care about me. I think that's bringing the least to the table. It made him the angriest. When you study this one in other parallel ideas, it's the care that seemed to get him the most. You know, you could say, well, I'm an atheist. God's not there. But when you take that position that I've said, like an agnostic of thinking he's impersonal, he just doesn't care what happens to me in my life. You've registered completely no faith because you not only doubted his ability, you doubted his willingness, you doubted his heart. It's a loyalty issue. And so I'm going to render this concept of no faith here to be how they hit Jesus. You know, you could make a joke and say, well, it's when you wake a man up from a nap. You know, this is always where I say it's okay to sleep in between miracles. Grab a nap when you can. I mean, he had so much pressure on him. And he spent so much time in the middle of the night praying that he took a nap. And so while the ship is being completely shaken, while it's filling up with water, he's still sleeping. Faith sleeps. (laughs) Faith had a pillow and he was sleeping. And it took them waking him up. The storm didn't wake him up, but the people woke him up. The people accusing him of not caring is what woke him up. Okay, so this is your prime example of no faith. Now, I threw this one in, and I'm not going to say I agree or don't agree. I would like to look into it deeper. But this one is a word where it didn't say that he said no faith. He just called him faithless. It could be, this next one could be that it's just a dumbed down. It didn't register it on one of the You know, whether it's this amount, this amount, or this amount, it uses a word, say, faithless. But let's just throw it in here. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you, let's let this stand. This is the only example of no faith. This one, again, involves relationship. And it's John 20, 27. It's after the resurrection. Thomas was a disciple of Jesus, but when Jesus died, he became faithless. The reason he did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead as he said. The reason he became faithless is he did not believe that Jesus had done what he said he would do. And so it says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach forward your fingers, and behold my hands. Touch my hands, 
Thomas, put your hands in the holes in my hands and reach forth your hand and thrust it in my side and be not faithless, but be believing. And so he pulls him from faithless into believing faith. He was like, if you have to touch, touch. Just don't leave yourself in a faithless position. Just don't leave yourself in that condition. Thomas, don't you know I told you this? And now you've heard from all the disciples. You've heard that I'm alive, but you bowed up and you said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it myself, unless I put my hands there, unless I touch. I'm not going to give you the ability that I believe. So again, you see a relationship thing because he had heard from people he trusted, the other disciples saying, look, he's appearing to us. But Thomas wasn't there when they were gathering. And so he was throwing a fit and he said, God's got to make it personal to me. And Jesus said, thrust your hand the same place where they thrust the sword. Thrust your hand forward the same place they put a hole in me. Thomas, if you have to touch the hole in my body and believe, don't be faithless. Now, I'm going to tell you something that surprises me. If we're going to talk about low degrees of faith, I think Jesus so wants faith out of us, he is determined to give you anything it takes to help you believe. Mm -hmm. And this particular thing in the Bible has gotten a bad rap, and that's all right. And I get why it gets a bad rap. But I don't think it's fair to give it a bad rap when there's two very strong scriptures that give it a good rap. In fact, it tells you what the purpose is for. It tells you to utilize it. I think because people have made this concept have such a bad rap, they're missing the entire point of it. Like, they're just throwing it all away. To me, honestly, it's Gentile thinking. And I want you to stare at these scriptures and let them stare back at you. Because Jesus himself said this to you. It's red letter. And it's shocking. And it goes into the point of no faith. And he's touching you with this just like he touched Thomas. These verses to me stand out. And I think they should weigh heavier than when Jesus was addressing an audience getting on to him. To me, these are beautiful verses. John 10, 38. And he tells you, But if I do, though you believe not, then believe the works that you may know. Let's say it in words besides King James. If you don't get it, and you don't believe, and you don't believe because of relationship, and you don't believe because I'm the one saying it to you, if you're not smart enough to figure out who the Messiah is and who Jesus is, and totally believing because Jesus Christ says to you, I am the way, I'm the Messiah, I can heal. If you don't believe what Jesus says, he tells you believe because of his works. And so many times we take works and we make them a bad work. We take signs and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be following signs. Right here, Jesus tells you, do. Mm -hmm. He said, if your level can't get off the ground floor, he said, believe because of the signs. Believe because of the works. So sometimes if you're struggling with your faith or sinking in the water, 
basically I'm going to tell you this is a verse to you that says if you can't believe because of Jesus believe because of the works and you tell yourself no man could do what he did there's no way and sometimes there's signposts that God has given you Thomas took advantage of this and he used it so you have the lowest on the ladder being the fact of telling God he didn't care I do not advise. I think that's the worst thing you could do. Up the ladder, you're going to have Jesus grabbing your hand and pulling back his garment and saying, thrust your hand into the holes in my side. Be believing, Thomas. Believe me. You're going to need it because I'm sending you to India. Mm. Be thou believing. But in John 10:38, he says, if you can't find it in your heart to believe, me believe because of the works again it's not without witness twice it is confirmed twice john 14 11 in case you're not sure it's just accidentally the greek just spilled out that way it says it very clearly to you again believe me when i say i am in the father and the father is in me believe me believe it but he says or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. If you can't believe it because I say it, if you can't believe it because you feel it, like you know it, that you can see that that must be God, there's no way a man could speak like that or have the authority, then he says, believe on the evidence of what you can see. If you have to have sight, at least believe, because woe to the man who has sight and still doesn't believe. Everyone says, if I see it, I'll believe. Not true. I wish it was true. I wish if we saw it, we would believe. But it's not true. And we demand it, and we say that, and we throw it in God's face. But the truth is, he says, it's at the point of no faith. But if you have to see it, okay, I'll show it. I'll show it. I'll show my hand. I'll show you I care and something you can see in order that you will believe. But woe, woe, woe to the man who doesn't believe even when he does see. So I would tell you right now to take an evaluation of your life and ask yourself, how many times has God let you see that you flat haven't brought belief to the table afterwards? That would be the point that I'm getting so strongly from this is that there evidently is a lot of times in our life that he brings it and we don't believe it. So I'm telling you, take an evaluation of everything God where he's proven himself to you and he's believing and tell the Lord, I believe, increase my faith. Okay, so you got number one. It is having, what is it? No faith. Number two, this one is our idea of little faith. And little faith is different than no faith. What is the meaning of the concept, O ye of little faith? Now, the most famous story of this is in Matthew 14. And it's rather shocking to me. In this story where Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus on top of the water. He doesn't drag through the water. 
He doesn't wade through the water. He doesn't get up to his knees. Peter is able to walk on top of the water. Well, at least for a little while. And then he sees the wind and the waves and becomes afraid. It's vain imaginations and waves or circumstances. And between the two in your life, circumstances and vain imaginations, you see reason that you should no longer walk on water. <laughs> it was around 3 o'clock a.m. and the disciples thought they had seen a ghost. And Peter's challenge to Jesus was, if you're not a ghost, then tell me to come to you. And so when Peter began to sink, Jesus saves him and says, you have little faith. Now, I'm going to take a Spurgeon sermon. We're going to get a little bit of education here. No, I'm going to do the five examples of little faith first, and then we'll come back to this one and have a little fun with it. Okay, so the first example then is this one, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And it is the example of if you're a worrier, if you're a worrier, if you worry a lot, you've gotten to the realm a little for there is reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As to what will I eat, what will I drink, what clothing will I wear, what am I going to put on? Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And yet this is what everybody thinks about. Those two subjects. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather in the barns. Yet the Heavenly Father feeds him. Are you not worth more than they are? He gives you that great kind of logic. If they're little and God cares, you're bigger. Doesn't that mean more care? So he's back to his caring ideal. And he says, you're worrying because you don't think I care. And every day you're seeing something with your eyes called birds. And you're seeing God care for them, provide for them, store up for them. And yet, you don't equate that God cares for you. He said, you're acting just like everybody else. You're acting like Gentiles. There should be a difference. The difference that makes no difference is no difference at all. (laughs) Yet, your Father feeds them. I wonder if the birds know it. I wonder if they know who's feeding them. Birds could talk. (laughs) They seen. You know, I watched a robin build a nest in a tree out by my house. In the nest were these little eggs. And I, every morning on my prayer walk, I'd look at their little nest. And one night, the most fierce storm came. And the next day, you know, when you've had a really bad storm, all the limbs were laying all over town. I mean, it just looked like somebody had gone through and shaken the whole town. Because of our righteousness, I'm sure it just was shaking and, and the limbs fell out of the tree. And I went to see my bird friend. What had happened to her? Limbs were littering the place. And there was the little bird still on her nest. And I told myself, the next storm I want to go out and watch. I mean, do they name that a roller coaster ride name? I mean, can you imagine? That limb whipped. Can you imagine how fragile those eggs are? How did she keep her balance as that thing whipped in the wind? The Lord cares. And when I saw how he cared for her, I figured he cared for me. 
And that's the deduction he's making. And he's saying, you're a higher thinking creature, so you should be bringing more to the table, not less. And you're bringing less to the table than the birds, than the Gentiles. (laughs) You who have covenant promises and scriptures and have been preached at, why are you spending your day worrying? And it's such a strong admonition here, because somehow deep inside of us we think if we don't worry, we don't care. If I love you and I don't worry for you, I don't care for you. That's what the world tells us. But the truth that Jesus says is, it's you have faith in the Father and you won't worry. So he makes some rational points here. He said, aren't you worth more? And who of you, by being worried, can add one single hour to his life? Like, if it doesn't give anything back to you, why do you do it? I was in Israel, and I reached for pita bread. She says, oh, don't eat pita. It doesn't give back. And, you know, it's just kind of an expression she used. I'm sure in the Hebrew it was beautiful. But don't reach for the pita. It gives nothing back. Pita bread. And, oh, there's a beautiful table with everything. You wanted to dip the bread in it. You knew what Jesus did when he broke the bread and he dipped it. It was pita. (laughs) It was that kind of bread where they broke it. And I'm going to say to you, worry is pita. It doesn't give back. And that's the argument of pita bread here. Why do it if it doesn't give back? If worry, and you spend so many hours doing it, why do it if it can't give you one hour back? It takes hours from you, but it won't give them back. How about if God measures your life and how much of it you spent worrying? How much you spent just being broken in this area? And again, we're talking about the area of caring. And then he says, why be worried about clothing? Look, you said you would believe if you could see. Look at the lilies of the field. He said Solomon in all of his glory didn't look that good. Have you seen a mountain full of blue bonnets? He said, there's nothing more beautiful. And if God can clothe the hill, if he can clothe the mountain whose the flowers are gone one day and here the next, if they have such a short-lived life and he has a burst of color, a burst of glory, how much more will he provide clothing that lasts a little longer? And so he makes some reasoning like this. He uses logic with it. He uses the fact that Solomon had the best-looking clothes ever, but actually he was prouder of the landscape that he had done with the lilies than of how Solomon looked like a peacock. Thank the Lord he didn't use a woman here. (laughs) He used a man all dressed up. And he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Little faith. He measured you. And he said it's little faith. Do not worry then saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For the Heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. So, each day has enough problems. Each day has enough trouble just for that perfect day. 
He promises you problems every day will be in this life. <laughs> but you serve the answer. And he's telling you you're not taking advantage of it. Frankly, since I often worry about tomorrow, this means that I don't believe his promise. I don't believe that God will supply all my needs. Frankly, I have to tell myself I don't believe. Frankly, since I have fear, this means I don't believe his promise. I don't believe that he will come through. Frankly, since I have frustration, I haven't got into the flow for, of the Holy Spirit. Frankly, I don't believe. You've got to tell yourself the truth. He's telling you, tell yourself the truth on this. Another example of little faith is Matthew eight twenty-three through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, and the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they said to him, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the sea and the winds obey him? So I want you to notice something. Matthew leaves out one thing. They don't threaten him with not caring here. So they got a notch up this time. It was little faith. Mark, they say, you don't care. Don't wake him up with you don't care. <laughs> it's the same concept. Maybe it happened several times, but the caring makes it go from no to little. Matthew 14 is the one on Peter. We will come back to him. His faith that got him down out of the boat wasn't strong enough to resist. The same question Jesus asked Peter, he asked us as well. Why did you doubt? Why? What kind of answer are we going to give God when he asks us, why did you doubt? Why? The why question. Matthew 16, 5 through 12. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to discuss this among themselves and said, he said this because we didn't bring any bread. That's why he brought up watch out for the leaven. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that we have no bread? Do you not yet understand? Do you not remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but beware of the teaching. So he called that little faith by not getting it. In other words, you're supposed to get it. And then the fifth one, a little faith, there's five of them. It's where the one y'all named, they couldn't cast it out. I might have thought that was no faith. But he gave them the thing of little. So I guess if you try to cast out of a demon and it doesn't work, you at least get credit for attempting. While the rest of the world doesn't. So maybe the seven sons of Sceva got a little credit for getting the clothes beat off of them. <laughs> so when they came to the crowd a man came up to Jesus and he fell on his knees before him and he said Lord have mercy on my son for he's a lunatic isn't that the truth you can have a kid that's a lunatic my gosh there's one in every family 
and he's very ill. For he often falls into the fire and into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cure him. And Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I be with you? Those are nice words. Man, I just love how they fall off your lips. You unbelieving and perverted generation. How long shall I put up with you? How long will I be with you? And how long will I put up with you? If their generation was unbelieving and perverted, what would he call our generation? Mm. Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him. And the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and says, Why could we not drive him out? And he said, It was because of little faith. You didn't bring much to the table. So, he said, Truly I say, if you have the faith the size of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible to you. So little faith is smaller than a mustard seed. So his idea of little isn't much. So little faith is being stifled by fear, while great faith is being amplified by boldness. You like that? Little faith is stifled by fear, while great faith is amplified by boldness. Little faith makes decisions based on what is possible for humans, what humans could do, while great faith makes decisions based on what is possible for God. Yeah. It'd be fun to make up all these different ones. What does little faith mean? What does it mean to you? It would be good to go through it and say, this is what they did wrong. Yes, and that's another one is that you're not putting into practice what you see. It's not causing faith in you. You're not putting into practice what you hear. It's not causing faith in you. Like you're not learning your lessons. It says though the world is taught, has judgments on it, they don't seem to learn from it. If you're not learning from what you're being taught, you're missing out. And it makes it little faith for you. Now, let's have a little fun with Spurgeon. Spurgeon says with Peter, which we're going to go back to the Peter story. He said there is only one word in the original phrase, O ye a little faith. Now, if Jesus spoke Aramaic, it might make this a little different. But let's say for the sake of this sermon, he was speaking Greek. At least the story's written in Greek. Anyway, the Lord Jesus virtually addresses Peter by the name of little faith in one word. He calls him, hey, little faith. And so the word in the Greek is one word, and it's O-L-I-G-O-S. And they have it like you would say it like, oligos, pistis. Faith is not a pretty word. Nobody really particularly likes how you say faith in the Greek. It's more beautiful in the Hebrew. So it's all one word. He says, oligos pistis. Let me tell you. I have a little word for you, oligos pistis. And this is what it is. And so it means little faith. Oligos, oligos, means little in number and low in quantity. So that gives you a hint. Little in number and low in quantity. You're not bringing much to the table. Not in quantity. It just means you're not bringing much to the table in what I'd call depth or intensity. Now, little faith. 
In Peter's character, there was such a mixture. There was a singular mixture in Peter, by himself, a singular mixture. What a choice of words. A singular mixture. In Peter, there lived two things. Some people say there's two dogs in you. Which dog's going to be the biggest? The one you feed. Whether it's fear or faith. I've heard that argued theologically different ways. But let's go with Peter having a singular mixture. He was both strong and weak. It's a mixture. He rose to excellence and he sank to littleness. Peter defined it all. He did the whole gamut. He was not where you could just put him on a shelf and say he had this set of demons. (laughs) He had both. (laughs) He went to the highest heights and the lowest lows. I mean, Peter by himself could have been the only disciple. We learned plenty from just Peter. Just Jesus chose one disciple and he and Peter went and conquered the world. The two of them. Because Peter ran the gamut. He had courage and rashness. He was a man of courage. He was a man of rashness. So when you look at this, strength and weakness, excellence and littleness, courage and rashness, it's all in Peter. And usually, all in the same event. (laughs) Usually, Peter had the mixture all at once. Like when Jesus said to him, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, Peter. Upon this rock, I'm going to build it. Because literally, you're the one that figured out that I'm the Messiah. Like flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Ten verses down. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, you've got Jesus talking to him, you've got God the Father talking to him, and you've got Satan talking to him. He had an ear for both. He had faith and he had doubt. So, Jesus named him Little Faith. Like Little John. It's all one word. Little Faith jumped out. Little Faith jumped out of the boat when no one else did. Little Faith ventured all. Little Faith was all in. Little Faith. But Little Faith looked away from the Lord. Then Little Faith cried. (laughs) Little Faith jumped out. Little Faith looked away from the Lord. Little Faith, let's do this. Little Faith jumped out. Little Faith took a few steps. I don't know if they were walking or running. Little Faith was able to walk on top of the water. Little Faith looked away from the Lord and Little Faith cried. And notice here, it wasn't his swimming abilities that got him out of this mess. It wasn't his swimming abilities that saved him. Nor, notice this, nor was it his faith was revived. Jesus didn't just speak to him and suddenly faith comes on him. Jesus had to seize him. Stretch forth thy hand is the divine command. Peter, throw out your hand. Jesus says, dead weight going down. Honestly, how do you have time to stretch forth your hand when you're sinking? So, little faith walked back with Jesus. So you have it all. Little faith jumped out. Little faith took some steps. Little faith looked away from the Lord. Little faith cried out. Little faith stretched out his hand when Jesus told him to do it. Little faith walked back with Jesus. And little faith was rebuked. (laughs) 
And I would say it is inexcusable to doubt. Little faith. These are the failures to act consistent with what we know to be true about the Lord's will and His Word. So I think it's interesting that Jesus went on record here. Rather than giving him a record of no faith at all, he gave him the title of little faith. Depending on how you want to interpret Jesus, he either was gentle with this or he was straightforward and strict with it. Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You have little faith. Let's take a peek at that one. Why did you doubt? And when they got back into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You certainly are God's son. They convinced the rest of them. So, what is the difference between little faith and no faith? What is the difference between the two? Little faith has been used five times in your Bible. We've gone over them. But I'm going to ask you, based on what Peter did, would you have thought that was little faith? Would you have wanted to give it a different title? And if so, what's going to happen when you hit Judgment Day in heaven? How much of your life will he say is little faith? If that's considered little faith, that you see the Lord walking on water and you ask him, bid me to come, and you're obedient, so little faith jumps out of the boat and he ventures everything he has, and he sinks a few steps and Jesus has to rescue him, and that's called little faith. What are you calling big faith on you? It's just little faith. Because this is the standard of judgment for little faith. Before we get too uppity with Peter, the rest of us were all in the boat. <laughs> but Jesus is very clear with him, that is little faith. Now I'm going to put a category in here that I don't see anyone else put in. But there's such a thing as just faith. So we've had, name them. What is it? No faith, little faith, and now just faith. It didn't make any comment on it. This is just faith. Getting into the boat, this is Matthew 9, 1 through 8, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. It seemed like all the faith examples happened on the water, on the Sea of Galilee, on the lake. And they brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed and seeing their faith. So while everyone else sees the wind and the waves, Jesus sees faith. Seeing their faith. What does your eyes behold? The wind, the waves. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. It's blasphemy. I declare this is the sin of blasphemy. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? But so that you may know. So that you may know. I'm doing this so you may know. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Having authority to forgive sins. It takes authority to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and he went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Did anybody doubt the man's sins were forgiven? 
No, because they saw him walk. Faith. Jesus saw their faith. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and he saw the faith of the men who brought him. Matthew nine eighteen through 22 And when he was saying this, a synagogue official came and bowed before him and said, My daughter has just died. Please come lay your hand on her that she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did the disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him, touched the fringe of his coat. For she was saying to herself, If I could only touch him. I will get well. But Jesus turning to her said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Your faith. It wasn't even my idea, says Jesus. It was your idea. Like he had to figure out who pressed up against him. And they go, everyone. That answer is everyone. But he perceived that something went out of him. At once the woman was made well. Your faith has made you well. What right now could your faith make you well on? Make you whole? Your faith. Everything you do this year, do by faith. Mix faith with it. Reach out, touch. She was kind of, I'd say, persistent here. If not a hair aggressive. She just knew she needed to get a tug on him. Matthew nine twenty seven through thirty one. As Jesus went up from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, "Have mercy on us, son of David!" And when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, "Do you believe that I'm able to do this?" And they said to him, "Yes, Lord." Then he touched their eyes, saying, "It shall be done unto you according to your faith." According to your faith. The healing happens to you according to your faith, said Jesus to the blind man. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, so that you tell no one. But they went out and spread the news to everyone throughout the whole land. <laughs> there wasn't a soul. They missed. How can you be blind and start seeing and not tell it? So three examples of faith. Now we're going to go into great faith. Great faith. Great faith isn't about how much biblical knowledge you have or how much scripture you can memorize and recite, even though I think that's good and a good starting place. And I don't think illiteracy, biblical illiteracy gains you any points. Biblical stupidness, biblical not knowing where anything is in your Bible or knowing anything about your Bible doesn't help you. What makes it great faith? What is great faith? How many people did Jesus tell them, you have great faith? Two is a number. Do I hear any more offers on the table? Yes. Okay. Who were these people? One was one of the four. Mm-hmm. This is what's hilarious. The only time Jesus used the word great faith. Both these people were outside the covenant God had made with Israel. Outside the covenant. It's kind of funny. Oh, it's hilarious. I'm sure they were rolling laughing over this. Is the only place Jesus can go to see great faith is among a people who know nothing about him? Who have not been raised with the word, the promises, 
is a place that Jesus finds the greatest faith is where he goes outside the church. And that's where he finds great faith. Outside the people of God. I mean... Oh, it's an indictment. I don't see how you could miss this. And on top of the fact that they were both outside of Israel, both came asking Jesus to heal and set people free that they deeply cared about. So both times it was great faith. It it wasn't for their own personal healing. They were bringing someone they really cared about, their needs. For the Canaanite woman, it was her what? daughter and the Roman centurion it was his servant slave let's go with the Roman centurion Matthew 8 5 through 13 and when Jesus entered Capernaum a centurion that's a Roman came to him imploring him and said Lord my servant is lying paralyzed at home and he's fearfully tormented he's back this isn't working well it's not good he's paralyzed and Jesus said to him a statement that the guy's going to contradict. I will come with you and I will heal him. But the centurion argues with Jesus. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm also a man under authority with soldiers under me. So I'm both in authority and under authority. And that's where you'll be all your life. It's the perfect example in authority and under authority. Some people don't get it. Some people are always under and they're never in authority. They're always under. Some people are always in and never under. Some are neither. They're neither in authority or under authority. But I'm telling you, the answer is both. And he said, I figured something out by watching it. He said, if I speak to one of my soldiers, because I'm in authority, you know, he could have said, I'm in authority and I can tell you how it works around my place. So I'm going to tell you, Jesus. So you see the humility of the man saying, look, I get authority and I give authority. I do it both ways before he tells his example. I mean, he sets it up very well with Jesus. And he says he's teaching Jesus by example. He's given Jesus a parable. He's given Jesus an analogy. He's arguing with Jesus. Come let us reason together. And he's given Jesus a story. And he goes, Jesus, it's like this. Now, how many times have you seen this in Scripture? It's always Jesus going, look, it's like this. This is how it works. But this guy says to Jesus, it's like this, Jesus. Very humbly, respectfully, he says, I'm in authority, I'm under authority. But it's like this. When I tell one of my soldiers, go, he goes. And when I tell him, come, he comes. You couldn't find a better trained dog. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. When I bark, they move. My soldiers do what I say. They are obedient. What on earth is he getting to the point with Jesus with? It's shocking that he's telling Jesus an analogy. He stops Jesus and he tells him, no, no need to come to my house. Let me tell you a story. Do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, Jesus marveled. 
Everywhere else people marveled. In this one, Jesus got it. He was a both a learner and a teacher. I think we're both. And he looked into the guy and he humbly listened to what he had to say. And he marveled and he said to those who were following, Truly I tell you, Amen, 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 the word truly. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. No one in Israel has brought me this much faith to the table. Great faith. He was marveling. And I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the kingdom of heaven. And the sons of this kingdom will be cast into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't seem like there's a mid-ground right here on this one. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. He set the terms. He set the conditions. He set the method. And Jesus agreed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Some people would have argued with this theology. Jesus liked it. There's a lot of high risk. There's a lot of taking chances. Great faith. That was great faith. Second one, Matthew fifteen twenty one through 28. And Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is not Israel. Both of which are there today. So he went away from Israel, and he withdrew. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, Have mercy on me! Now notice the title she gives him. Lord, Kyrios, Kyrios, Lord, 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 Son of David. Strong title, Lord, Son of David, Master, Messiah. That's what she says to him, Master, Messiah. And she contrasts this and she says, My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. I mean, it's cruel. But he did not answer her a word. And she had addressed him endearingly, faithfully, with courage. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. She's obnoxious. She's just she's yelling. I'm telling you, who wants these kind of people following us? You wonder if she's speaking Aramaic, Hebrew, her language. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I wasn't sent to you. I just defined my mission and you're not included. The door is shut. No miracles today. Wrong dispensation. Oops. Wrong people group. You've been left out. But she came and began to bow down to him, saying, Lord, help me. Oh, he's not finished. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. First, it's a woman. <laughs> Secondly, it's a Canaanite. Remember the Canaanites? They were original occupants of the promised land. And when God brought his people in, he said, This is now your land, land of your covenant. And when you enter the land, totally eliminate the Canaanites. Totally get rid of these people. For they are dog people, vile, sinful, wretched. 
a slithing mass of humanity, a cancer on humanity, obliterate them. They're cursed, doomed people set for divine removal. She's one of those Canaanite. You get it who she is. Kneeling near her, the woman begged. Cast it out. Jesus refuted her request by saying, Children first. They go first, not you. First in line. First serve. But she answers him. She said, You Jews, I never could stand you. You're the most arrogant, rude. I mean, I treated you well, and look at what you said to me. Anybody know I don't have to take this off of you? You're all alike. You men. Yes, Lord. Yes, Master. Curios. Curios. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. One thing you can get from this, it only takes a crumb to get well. And her daughter was healed at once. And he says something to her. He says in Mark, he likes something about her. He challenges the woman with a dog, a demissive term she used to refer to non-Israelites. She responds with a right answer that brings something to her. And so Mark tells you, because of her witty reply, Jesus delivered her daughter. So I wrote something about the theology here that it says, because of her witty answer. If you can make Jesus laugh, you'll get your miracle. <laughs> if you're funny, if you have great faith. I mean, it's a new form of deliverance. You shouldn't be so serious. I mean, it's what it says. So you can change a dispensation. You can change the covenants. You can change who Jesus is called to. You can change, oh, let's go. You can change the mind of God. If you have a witty answer. Do you like that theology? <laughs> There's only two times in Scripture that Jesus ever marveled. Once at unbelief. When he came to heal in March 6-6. Six, six, and once at the Roman centurion's great faith. Matthew 8-10. What in your life makes Jesus marvel? How stupid you are? How unbelieving you are? Or how much you trust him? How much ridiculous faith you have? What caused Jesus to marvel? Or be amazed at their faith? Because I'm going to say in example one, the man changed Jesus' mind on something. And Jesus got real excited because Jesus said, I will come and walk to your village and heal your servant. And the guy says, I'll save you a trip. Let me tell you how I can do it. If I can speak to my servant and they obey me, then you can speak from here and it will obey you. The guy put together a concept. And Jesus was very happy. It saved him a walk. <laughs> I mean, you got to look at this practically. He was like, oh, my lens is got is getting it. Like getting it. Like he gets that it's not in a secret touch or a magic wand. 
he realizes that just like he has authority here, I have authority in this realm. Mm -hmm. He got authority. He got that it's bossing it. He got that Jesus could speak one word and it would come to pass. And he was going to let Jesus either talk him down and say, your theory's not right, or Jesus was going to honor the theory the man had on what made healing work. And Jesus goes, in all of Israel, I have not seen faith like this. What makes Jesus marvel? Changing his mind? For Jesus is the goodness of God in the flesh. There was something about Jesus she knew she could negotiate with. There was something about this master, Messiah, that she saw something in his eye that was worth the risk. There was something about this Jewish man. She had to have what he had. She wasn't going to be passed by. This woman wasn't going to be one to be said no to. So both examples, he told her no, and she changed his mind. Or he had a twinkle in his eyes, and he was going to give her faith a workout. If she thought she was low, if she thought she didn't deserve it, he was going to make her tell him why she did deserve it. If she thought she was so unworthy, which both of them said, I'm unworthy, he made her say, just a crumb of you is enough to fix any problem in my life. It's a very unique concept. If you're going to change the Lord's mind or tell him no, you better be right. The first man told Jesus no, and he changed Jesus' mind. The woman was told no, and she changed his mind. And that was called great faith. Because they took a concept and they applied it. Again, the woman did exactly what the centurion did. She said, Jesus, I have an analogy for you. She didn't throw theology at him. She told Jesus a story. She told him a parable. She told him something she had observed. She told him, I see people eating all the time. And when the rag washes the table off after the children have eaten all the bread they can, crumbs fall. I want a crumb. She tells Jesus a story that catches his interest. And she humbles herself and says, even the dogs get the crumbs. This dog wants a crumb. And Jesus laughed. And he gave her the highest compliment only two people got. The greatest faith. The greatest faith. So now, as we're closing on no faith, and if you have no faith, he at least says, at least try to see something. Look around and see the birds and how they're taken care of. See the flowers on the hill and tell yourself God loves you and wants to clothe you. Either look around and see how a man bosses his servants or his wife around and... <laughs> his dog, whatever, and realize that Jesus has that power to boss the worst thing in your life. Look at how crumbs fall to the table and scavengers lick them up. Look around and see something that makes you believe. And Jesus said, if you can't believe me just because I said it, at least believe.
on those terms. And so, as we end, as Thomas is slipping his fingers into the holes to believe this really did take place, he was cruelly crushed for our iniquities. And all along, the compassion of the world is there waiting to heal and to believe, to dare you to go further, to tell you that when you walk on water, it's just a little faith. Trusting more, daring more. Hey, little faith, you cried, I grabbed. We walked back. Then we all will say like those in the Bible, increase my faith. But let us move on to the gentle slopes of great faith. Amen.